The body wavers and the camera shakes and the combination confuses the image with the motion. What emerges? A sickly woman, skin pale, nearly translucent beneath her eyes and at her temples, looks like a zombie at peace, emitting a pale blue-white glow as she stumbles her way out of a convenience store, holding a gallon of water, presumably unpaid for. The person with the camera breathes heavily as she runs after the woman, knocking over stacked junk foods, bright pink cupcakes, and mini donuts wrapped in plastic falling beside her path as she runs. Everything in present tense. The video repeats, loops, just after it reaches the end, the moment when the door bursts open into the sun and traffic, between which the sick woman weaves, causing cars to swerve, crashing into each other instead of her, and then the camera falls capturing only a blur of hand and asphalt before blinking out and starting over again. The body wavers and the camera shakes and the combination confuses the image with the motion. The news doesn't identify anybody. The water thief, whoever uploaded this video to the internet, every social media outlet, hashtag final moments, hashtag it's starting, hashtag WTF, hashtag snuff, Hashtag Bloodsport. Hashtag Chasing Wisdom. Hashtag Not a Hoax. Hashtag Fun to Smoke to. Victor, turn the dial, the older black man said, and the man behind the counter obliged. Static. Classical music. Static. Soft rock. Static. Talk radio. Free jazz. Right there. Thank you, the older one said as he closed his eyes. Each instrument headed in a different direction. Only the drums and bass seemed to hold any relationship to each other. The miracle worker looked at the window. People pressed against the glass, awaiting salvation, a cure, some wanting to disprove what they'd just witnessed or what they'd heard from the person standing next to them. To the wrong ears, the older man went on. It just sounds like noise. Next to the miracle worker, on his right side, the drug user nodded, took another bite of his donut, but it's all there. Just takes either a trained or just right ear to notice. Right there. He pointed his finger toward the radio. A brief lull in the wailing of the saxophones. Right there. In the silence between the notes. Each contains a universe. And when they come back together. A confirmation. Exactly all we need to know. The miracle worker looked out the window, sighed, visible through a t-shirt that read, 5k to end suicide, through the layers of skin, fat, he saw a heart beating irregularly, ready to give up the battle against inactivity and a diet of refined sugars and an excess of meat. The miracle worker felt no compulsion to heal, no compassion, wore a flat look on his face to conceal his only thought. The old black man grinned sat up straighter, leaned in. No mistake here. We don't make mistakes. Rage came into his hands, burning his fingertips, the urge to end a life. He turned to the donut in front of him, took a bite, coughed, nearly choking. You don't really need to eat, especially that. Consider your mouth an accessory, an ornamentation, something you need to pass for, you know, one of them. When he stopped coughing, the miracle man said, What? What do I get out of this? And the older one laughed. What do you get? 
You mean besides the joy and pleasure of doing the good work? At least three billion people believing? Worshipping? How about this? Make yourself known through word and miracle, or I'll have you stretched out through pain tones beyond all imagining, an eternal wailing one single human hair's width stretched across the universe until the end of time and maybe after that too. The near-elderly black man placed a hand on his shoulder, squeezed. The threat pulsed through his marrow. On the radio, the saxophone screamed and the bass and drums and now another sax rumbled together, getting louder, faster. Just don't let them name you. Stay humble and get to work. He released his grip, looked at Victor. Okay, that's enough. Let's hear some hollow notes. And Victor turned the dial, found it. Maneater played and the older man relaxed. That's a good song. The drug user said, mouthful of donut. Go ahead, the older man said to the user. Go on and open the door. The other man slipped off his stool, complied. You ready? The older man asked. As soon as the door opened, a muffled chorus of mumbling questions and statements of awe became a clamor as the group rushed inside, trampling over the drug user to reach the man who'd resurrected a dead bank teller. Victor watched as it happened. The look on his face, that of a man used to tanks, threats, collapse, mostly indifferent to it all. Bodies surrounded the miracle worker, crowded him. He felt the weight of twenty hands on his back, inhaled the stench of their collective breath, a massive premature rot brought on by diets, sodium-rich microwave meals and chemical snacks all swallowed without thought of organic consequence. Disgust blossomed in his own gut a caged animal raging then recognizing the reality of no escape. In his throat sat the god nausea, suspended, pinned between his vocal cords and the deity, the words that needed saying, you all hold the keys to your own salvation, yet you press me. Behind the counter, Victor stood, unchanged, the man who's seen it all and then some. With the crowd distracted by the miracle worker's presence, the addict reclaimed his seat beside him began dipping in and out of consciousness. Crumbs stuck to his bottom lip, the corners of his mouth. The older man slipped out who knew when. The room pressed in on the nameless one. He could feel that old, familiar torment, the walk, carrying the boulder chained to his back, the dead animal covering his body when he lived as a little girl in Siberia, the warrior fallen upon him in an unrecorded battle in the place now called Algeria. Each of those weights carried immediate significance to his former selves, some symbolic struggle, the collective weight of humankind and all its horror, and each incarnation followed the script, done the deed for the betterment of some small community. The addict mumbled something, then raised his voice above the din, shouted, Give this man some space, and the people did, shocked at the volume. The nameless man sat up straight, then turned to address the audience. If you came in here to receive some sort of miracle, relief from your self-inflicted suffering, then you've come to the wrong place. I can tell you very little, but I can tell you this. Reject any promise of an end to suffering and know that such things, aside from death, you will not attain and should not desire. A pause as the crowd considered his words. A small laugh of discomfort. A louder mumbling. 
A few people cried, tears of joy, tears of disappointment. A small smile appeared on Victor's face. Someone ordered a donut. Colson watched her check her phone, then walk away. No purse, no grocery bags. He watched her get into a car on the other side of the entrance to the complex. She drove a beat-up red Hyundai away from the entrance toward the rear exit that led out onto the main road. He put his car in reverse, began backing out, barely hearing the voice, his own voice, the voice of a healthier him in his head, over the sound of the blood banging against the walls of his carotid artery, the squeal of the timing belt again. Then he saw, in the rear view, just as he turned to head toward the exit, the Palm Beach deputy holding an iPhone in front of his face. As Colson drove, he tried to get a hold of his breathing. It took him two minutes to notice he'd headed away from her, toward his place of work. He noticed the radio playing some irritating teeny bopper, a voice that grated his bones, slammed on the brakes as he came to a yellow light that quickly turned red. Horns honked behind him, a chorus of curses thrown at him in New York accents. His stomach turned. As Colson drove into the Department of Youth and Family Services parking lot, he noticed new graffiti on the building's wall, a large word written in Arabic script. Briefly, he wondered what it could mean. If it said something threatening or innocuous, death to America or I love Anissa Rahmani, the new anchor person for South Florida 5. He tried not to know or remember the things he used to worry about when he moved down here after college. The fact that one of the 9-11 terrorists trained only a few miles from his office. He parked, walked into the building through the side door, the way he usually entered, providing a cue for all the other social workers to shout in unison, Save us all! Colson couldn't speak. Heat and horror filled his being. All this attention. Generally, he spoke only out of necessity, avoiding, for the most part, the gossip that happened between cubicles and in the small, sorry excuse for a cafeteria. He didn't talk about himself, what TV shows he watched, nor how he, like so many other people living in Florida, never went to the beach. What? You didn't see it yet? It's all over the news. Check this out. Eric, who's constantly happy, too large head looked like a cartoon with a steroid body, held a phone up to Colson's face. A video played. A man crouching down on a sidewalk, placing his hands on a seemingly dead woman who resembled Rahmani. Crowd around her, sputtering, scared, concerned, and shocked, saying, She's dead. I knew her. What happened? Then the woman opening her eyes. The man stood up so that Colson could see the face. Pretty much his own face. So how'd you bring her back to life and get all the way back here from... Eric looked at his phone. Middletown, Connecticut? Wish I knew. Colson could hear himself speak. His face felt thin and heavy, a mask just out of the microwave. They all stood around him, a group of child protective investigators, happy for the distraction from their work of proving or disproving allegations of child abuse, removing kids from their homes, the work of angels. Do you know anyone in your biological family? Tiffany who could pass for 20 or 40, asked. No, Colson answered. Beyond the foot of the stage, Doug could see nothing. His mouth worked without his consent, 
forming his breath into sounds that eight months ago felt honest and real. Now they sounded like cheap imitation syrup, filled with empty vowel sounds and the repetition of the word baby, love, ooh, blah, blah, blah. He could feel his body moving as practiced and choreographed, suspended in a blur of white light between a giant screen version of himself and the blackness of the audience. He moved in a trance created by his backing band, a group of adult musicians who'd failed at their own dreams or never had any to begin with. One song ended, and another began, and another, then out came a stool for him to sit on, an acoustic guitar placed in his hands, the collective scream of thousands of girls his own age and younger, the blank stares of mothers and a handful of fathers all together formed into one giant humming insect he could suddenly see, its carapace covered in a tattoo of tiny human faces with horror pinwheel eyes full of fairy tale bubblegum abusive longing, and he nearly choked on the first words of the song, and the stark contrast of it all, his life now and the one before it, the sea of want lapping at his feet. The comment that popular girl made to him the night before his song went viral. No one will ever want you. He took all his love and longing for something else and imagined its object as a girl or someone who could stand the real him and put that emotion into the performance. It almost felt like the words came from the very same place they did the first time and he almost felt like he almost felt then and the song seemed to last forever and not at all any longer than a few seconds, and he couldn't hear his own thoughts at the end, as a scream of the insect surrounded him, energized and collapsed his entire being.